We're so glad you've joined us. Right now, it's Perry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. Listen to this passion. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's Paul from Galatians 2.20. Now compare Paul's passion to this. You are a sinner going to hell. God loves you. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. If you believe in him, you will go to heaven. Comparing these two. In my view, Paul expresses such a deep relationship with Jesus. The second one sounds true, but lifeless. It sounds like a transaction in many ways. I've got my ticket to heaven, and now I can tuck it in my drawer until I need it someday. Yeah, it is not the ongoing pursuit of and Mm. working out of, you Mm -hmm. know, my salvation. It's the it's it's it sounds a lot more one and done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you're an evangelical like I am, I guess I would first call myself. I'm a follower of Jesus. Sure, of course. But I do fit in the evangelical camp. So if you are one like me, I think we need to do some self-reflection on our evangelical gospel, which is what I just mentioned. You're a sinner going to hell. God loves you. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. If you believe in him, you will go to heaven. Reflect on that. Let's wrestle with this because the gospel should produce expressions like Paul, I think, not professions that seem as shallow as a puddle. Mm. Here's John Mark Comer. He's the author of The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry and teaching pastor at Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon. The evangelical gospel, or what some call the simple gospel, here's a popular level summary. You are a sinner going to hell. God loves you. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. If you believe in him, you will go to heaven when you die. The preaching of this gospel is usually followed by some version of the sinner's prayer or a call to put your hand up at the end of the sermon or to come forward. This version of the gospel rose to prominence after World War II. It was an attempt to simplify the gospel into an appealing and accessible message for the masses. It was a generation that far more than our own took Jesus' call to preach the gospel very seriously. And there are some things it does really well. It's called to personal conversion. I take that for granted because I grew up in evangelicalism. But those of you who are baptized as infants or grew up Catholic or mainline, you know there's often no moment ever of commitment to apprentice under Jesus as Lord. Of course, there are all sorts of issues with this gospel as well. Most notably, this is simply nothing close to the gospel Jesus himself preached. If you search for this formulation in the gospels, or I would argue in the New Testament, you simply won't find it. The problem is less that it's wrong and more that it's nowhere close to the full picture. You see, salvation for Jesus isn't about getting you into heaven, but about getting heaven into you. 
It's not about going up there, but heaven coming down here. It's not just about a transaction, but about a transformation. And not just about the transformation of an individual soul, you or me, but of entire societies of us. It's not just about what God wants to do for us, but what God wants to do in us. It's not just about what happens when we die, but what happens if we live. It's not just about going to church after you are, quote, saved, but about being baptized into the family of God, with God as your father and other followers of Jesus as your brothers and your sister and your primary familial allegiance. Here's John Ortberg. In this way of thinking about salvation, the evangelical gospel, the goal is to get from down here to up there, but how to know for sure that you're heading to the good place. It usually involves praying a very specific prayer, believing a set of doctrines about God and other things that make someone a Christian. Ironically, it does not necessarily involve a life of apprenticeship to Jesus. And that's the rub. There is no call to discipleship. Discipleship is something that happens after you get saved, often as an optional add-on for those who are into it, rather than the pathway into salvation. The satirical website, The Babylon Bee, it once had an article entitled, Bible Lacking Sinner's Prayer Return for Full Refund. In it, a fictional disgruntled customer says, quote, I searched the Bible through and through and couldn't find anything about a magic prayer I could lead people to say in order to instantly get them into the kingdom and have them be forever more secure in their eternal salvation, no matter what their life looks like afterward. Oh, The Babylon Bee. Oh. <laughs> you know, I... I think I prayed some form of the sinner's prayer, the evangelical gospel, when I was a kid, and I really came to know Jesus, but I didn't understand discipleship. I didn't get discipled as a teenager, really. I got, I got discipled, in a sense, as I watched my parents, as I listened to them and such, but it was just a, it was a decision. I didn't know how that affected my life and that it should affect my life. And really, when it comes right down to it, this life with Jesus is all about hearing that call. Follow me. Follow me step by step by step by step. Yes, I'm your salvation, but learn to be like me. Yeah, in the millions of choices that we make every single day, follow me. Not yeah. just once. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not something we tuck away in our pocket. I really love what John Mark Homer said about it's not about whether you die. It's about whether you live. Mm -hmm. Like, what if you live? Mm -hmm. Then what? Yeah. And I love what he says. It's not about us going to heaven someday, although we will. But it's about right now, heaven coming to earth into me because yeah. we are his temple. And he wants to come and fill us and make us little Christs, and that's what he's doing. And so, yes, one day when I die, we're going to go to heaven. I'm going to go to heaven, but you know what? The end of the story is that heaven comes back mm -hmm. to earth. Yeah, your kingdom come, your will be done yeah. on earth as it is in heaven. Hey, we're going to have some more conversation about this this morning, just kind of doing some self-reflection on the evangelical gospel. Following Jesus is not simply a ticket to heaven, but it's a eternal journey of following him.
and it's not about you. <laughs> Galatians 2.20 says, My old identity has been crucified with Christ and no longer lives, and now the essence of this new life is no longer mine, for the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered by the faith in the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me, dispensing his life into mine. Hmm. We're dead to self. We're alive in Christ. It is not about you and me. It's all about Jesus. Uh, John Mark Homer paraphrases this, you know, the what would Jesus do? Um, and really this verse, I think, very well in the question, what would Jesus do if he were you? Do that. Live that way. So if Jesus were your gender, if he was your age, if he lived in your house with your parents, or if he had your job, if he had your kids and your spouse, your temperament, your likes and your dislikes, if Jesus were you, what would Jesus do? And then live that way. And we can't know what Jesus would do if we don't know Jesus. Hmm. Um, few several years back, early in our marriage, Dan and I lived in Iowa and I worked at a medical clinic. I did coding for them. And there was a nurse on staff. Her name was Jamie and a patient had treated her just really stinky. And she said, I read the Bible. And so I live by the golden rule. Do to others what they do to you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, that's not, that's, that's in, not the golden rule. And that's not in the Bible. That's in he- second Hezekiah. <laughs> yeah. It's not there, but I think, you know, we laugh about that, but if we're not in the word of God, there are things that we hear, you know, about Jesus or about God that we just kind of assume to be true. So we need to be in the word of God. That's where God reveals his heart to us. And we need to be not only studying his life, but we need to be in a personal relationship with him. So what are the practices of your life that nurture relationship and understanding of who Jesus is? We already talked about reading the Bible, right? Also, specifically reading the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John gives you insights into how Jesus actually did respond in real-life situations. And then talking to him, just sharing your heart with him and entrusting your worries to him, thanking him for what he's done for you, praising him for who he is, and listening to him. Hmm. Are all your questions (laughs) rhetorical when you're talking to God? Are you literally waiting for him to answer? Because he does speak. He will answer you. And he'll lead you and he'll show you what to do, what he would do if he were you. Last several days, I've just noticed this kind of low-grade anger boiling in me. And the Holy Spirit, you know, has been pointing this out to me. And, you know, last night I just was talking with my bride, Teresa, and I said, you know what? I just see this going on in my heart and I I just want you to pray for me because life is too short. Mm -hmm. Life is too short. And, you know, uh, I'm moving forward because I'm in a relationship with Jesus. I'm following him and his spirit is in me and his spirit is saying, hey, Perry, I want you to have, I want you to live my life live my life through you. And so you got this anger you're holding on to and it's, it's this low level thing, but it's, it's really messing with you. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. And ask somebody to pray for you. Yeah. We are, uh, we are apprentices of Jesus. So, I mean, I think this whole idea of follower, we've lost what that actually is because, you know, Facebook follow, follow. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it means occasionally the people that you're following might influence your life and your decisions, but 
Yeah. I've got a lot of followers on Facebook, but three people who care. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. So this whole idea of following Jesus, maybe we need to mess with the language a little bit until it makes sense to us what it means to actually live your life like Jesus would live his life until you become like him. I like this idea of apprentice and, you know, being an apprentice of Jesus. And it's a lifelong thing. But I can also be an apprentice for others, you know, saying, Hey, follow me. I'm following Jesus. Follow me. Follow Jesus too, but follow me too, because I'm really going after, through his help and his spirit, being like him. I've heard it said that from the from the front, we look like sheep, and from the back, we look like shepherds, because we are following mm. after Jesus. But along with that comes the invitation to follow me as I follow Jesus. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Eugene Peterson in the message put it, you know, this whole following Jesus and, and apprenticeship of Jesus, I think he said it really well when he was wrapping up Romans 12, 1 and 2 in the message. And he said, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. I have, I have a friend who was, um, had a neighbor who was being really, really difficult and, she had asked for prayer about it and, and I had been praying with her for, you know, a while about it. And one, in one conversation with her, you know, I had asked, kind of followed up, how are you feeling with, about that neighbor? You know, what's going on there? And she goes, I really feel like I'm supposed to bring him a gift. <laughs> I was like, what? You got a neighbor who's being stinky and your response is to bring them a gift. That's not natural. She's read the Sermon on the Mount. That's really, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to do those kinds of things. Yeah, it's not natural, but it's supernatural. That's what happens when you start apprenticing after Jesus. You start to do the things that Jesus would do if Jesus were you. And when we accept what Jesus did on the cross and dying for our sins and the free gift of eternal life that he offers, we also choose to die to our own desires and to live for Jesus, asking that question, what would Jesus do if he were me? And then actually doing what he would do in the myriad of decisions that we make every single day. So as you go through this day, keep that question in front of you. When someone cuts you in, in the pickup line <laughs> or you're tempted to, to use some work time for some personal things, hmm. what would Jesus do if Jesus were you? Just do that. You've got this. Well, like you, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I would, I guess, call myself an evangelical. So if you're an evangelical like I am, I think we need to do some self-reflection on our evangelical gospel, which says it has simplified the gospel to this. You're a sinner going to hell. God loves you. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. If you believe in him, you will go to heaven. This is a true statement. But to me, it seems so shallow. It's There's nothing underneath it. And it doesn't seem like it calls me to any kind of a different life other than just having a ticket to heaven. Mm-hmm. It's a, is it just, maybe it's just me. No, it's just very factual. It's just very factual. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, here's the information rather than the invitation. Yeah. And the Bible, I think the whole Bible is the gospel. Mm-hmm. It's the story of God, the story of God's great rescue plan. And the invitation for us to be a part of that story. Yeah, yeah. It's we're, we're loved to share his love. 
We're blessed to be a blessing. So anyway, here's John Mark Comer. He's author of several books, including The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and he's the teaching pastor at Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon. This is the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God's kingdom has come near through Jesus and through his life, death, resurrection, and enthronement, the powers of Satan, sin, and death no longer have the last word. God's plan to put the world right has finally been launched. The ancient sickness that had crippled the whole world and humans with it has been cured at last so that new life can rise up in its place. Life has come to life and is pouring out like a mighty river into the world in the form of a new power, the power of love. The good news was and is that all this has happened in through Jesus and that one day it will happen completely and utterly to all creation and that we humans, every single one of us, whoever we are, can be caught up in that transformation here and now. This is the gospel. I don't know about you. I'm about to have church here. Right here. Woo! Oh, my goodness. Come I'm on. Having, I'm having the tingles. So, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get you something for that in a minute. Okay, thank you. But I think, you know, like right now in my mind, what comes to mind out of what he just said is it is, it is not about transaction. It is about transformation. Yeah. And it's about the fact that, you know, it's not me somehow someday getting to heaven, although I have that to look forward to. It's that in Jesus Christ, in the man, Jesus Christ, the God man, heaven came to earth and started a love revolution. Mm. And in the cross, he conquered sin, death, hell, the grave. And we can enter into this new life now, and it's headed somewhere. We get to be a part of bringing this life to the world until the day when all the sad things become untrue. Compare that to the evangelical gospel, this ticket to heaven idea. Right. It's so lacking, and we need to we need to communicate the gospel, the timeless gospel message, in a way that does it justice. Mm -hmm. Right. If the gospel message that you have received says, Hey, I'm just biding time, you know, until I get transformed, I will be transformed, but I have nothing to do with it. God Mm -hmm. will do it. And it'll happen at the end of this life. That is not the invitation of God that you are sitting waiting, but that you are living your life in the truth of the transforming gospel today. Yeah. And think about this that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been living in a community love, a community of love from eternity past. And as far as I can tell, the only reason they decided to create everything is for us to share in this community of love. And it's going on right now, this love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And because Jesus died for us, we're brought into this circle, this dance. And... We need to make today about inviting others into the dance Mm. and look forward to the day. Of course, our hope is that day when the dance will be perfect and beautiful. Here's a man who has been captivated by Jesus Christ. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in this body, on this earth, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
This, of course, is Paul. We've been sitting with Galatians 2.20 this week. Compare Paul's passion to the profession of an American evangelical. I'm a sinner deserving of hell. God loves me. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Because I believe in him, I am going to heaven when I die. Now to me, maybe it's just me, but Paul's passionate words seem to be words floating on an ocean. I want to know what's underneath what he's saying, underneath all of that passion and that intimacy. The profession of the American evangelical sounds to me like words floating in a puddle. They're not untrue, but to me, there's no depth there. I'm not compelled in any way to ask, what is this guy or gal saying? You know, why the difference? And we're, we're doing some self-reflection, looking at the American evangelical gospel, which says, again, you're a sinner going to hell. God loves you. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. If you believe in him, you will go to heaven. Here's John Mark Colmer. He's an author and teaching pastor at Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon. When people in this vein ask, is so-and-so saved? Which is a very evangelical question to ask. Not a bad question, but what they are really asking is, do they meet the minimum entrance requirements to get into heaven when they die? But is that what salvation even is? Imagine if I said to my wife, T, okay, what are the minimal requirements you need from me to stay legally married to you? <laughs> that, would, that would, A, that would just not go over well at all if you know my wife. But B, I would just be missing the entire point of what marriage is. Marriage is, I mean, it is a legal status, but that's just like, that's, that's on the edge. That's not the center. It is a relational covenant. In the same way, salvation is about, in Jesus' definition of eternal life, knowing God, participating in the inner life of the Trinity through what the ancients called union with God and the healing of your soul. You see, you have to map an idea like the forgiveness of sins. You have to map that onto some kind of a larger story or backdrop. Paul does that in his summary of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. This is one of the Paul's like most blatant summaries of the gospel. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. There's our word. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you. This is the gospel as, it, as I received, of first importance. And then listen to his summary of the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures, notice that very important phrase. It's used twice by Paul, meaning the backstory for Paul to the forgiveness of sins is the scriptures, which is a shorthand way for saying the story of the Old Testament, the story, if you've read it, about the creation of Eden, humans designed to live as kings and queens in the kingdom of God, to co-rule with God over the earth, but in loving community, but who through sin and rebellion against God and resistance of God's rule were shut out of the garden and infected with a kind of spiritual disease. The Greek word for sin, as many of you know, literally means to miss the mark. But that begs the question, what's the mark? Is the mark perfection? Is the mark going to heaven when you die? What if the mark is union with God? What if it's sharing in the inner life of the love between the Father and the Son? 
What if it's the healing of your soul? What if it's becoming a part of a new Jew plus Gentile family that's multi-ethnic and global and historic? What if it's, above all, becoming a person of agape? Then this gospel, the evangelical gospel, would simply be an inadequate foundation upon which to build a life of discipleship that is conducive to deep healing and transformation. The gospel is good news. I mean, good news. What happens when you hear good news? You get excited. And the gospel is that Jesus Christ, the word became flesh, came to live among us and bring the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven to transform our lives, to bring us into this relationship with the living God, a relationship that starts the moment we start following Jesus and that will go on forever. Listen to Jesus' words in John 17, verse 3. He defines eternal life. This is eternal life. Here it is, that they know you, the Mm -hmm. only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is not a ticket to heaven. Eternal life is experiencing the the love that's been going on between Father, Son, and Spirit from eternity past and experiencing that in the now and being transformed by it and being healed by it. Yeah, I love what John Mark Comer said about, you know, um, life transformation and deep healing. Mm-hmm. The result of knowing God in an intimate way of walking in love relationship with Jesus and, you know, seeing his life modeled for us and actually becoming like him. I love the language of apprenticing because it it comes with it, the connotation that I will become what I am learning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the pursuit of Jesus. That's walking with Jesus is becoming who, who Jesus is. Um, we, this deep healing is a, a natural result of that relationship. Mm-hmm. So you say all the time, Perry, you know, I think we all have a father wound of some kind, right? You know, we all have wounds, you know, that the little boy in us, the little girl in us got hurt along the way and needs healing. It's in walking in love relationship with Jesus that we experience that healing. Love to know what you think of this quote from Billy Graham. He said, being a Christian is more than just an instantaneous conversion. It is a daily process whereby you grow to be more and more like Christ. I got to tell you, when especially like in my teenage years and my younger years. But when I would hear testimonies of other people who, you know, walked, weren't walking with Jesus and then they met Jesus and now they're walking with Jesus. And there were just these radical testimonies of like conversion from, you know, I used to be, mm-hmm. you know, ugh, in rat in addiction and abuse and this kind of thing. Gang and, member. Yeah. Right. Prisoner. And, right. 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 And now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm walking this out with Jesus. I was just like, man, I'm never going to tell anybody my testimony because it's so vanilla, you know, it's so bland. It's like I was raised in a Christian home at 13. I gave my life to Jesus and started reading my Bible. And I've just, it's been this slow, steady plotting, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's literally takes decades for me to tell my story because if I the conversion story is like, well, 20 years ago, I used to be like this, but I've just had this simple repeatable pattern of meeting with Jesus every single day because I know how much I need him. And I don't feel that way anymore. I'm not anxious like I used to be. 
but it is very much a elongated, mm-hmm. simple. Uh, what is there's a phrase that you use about going the yeah, same yeah, yeah. direction? Yeah, well, Eugene Peterson wrote the book. Okay, a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. That's it, man. Yeah, that's what the journey is. That's what being a follower of Jesus is, or we're using this term, an apprentice of Jesus. You know, Billy Graham said this, and, you know, people could say, well, he was just this guy who went around the world getting decisions for Christ, and the people who made decisions, they may or may not have continued on with Jesus, but he got it. That's why he partnered with churches. You know, he wanted to bring the churches together and, you know, the, the Palau ministry does this as well, just partnering with churches because they know, yeah, people are going to make a decision for Christ, but that's just the first step. It's the first step in a lifetime of following Jesus. And so it's not a decision. It's what you're describing. It's that plotting, you know, I signed on for this. Mm-hmm. You know, when we go through stuff we don't understand and and God has allowed it. He's even led us into it. So, you know, I don't understand all the mysteries, but when that happens with me, I'll just say, Lord, I, you know, I know that I signed on for this. When I signed on to follow you, I didn't come with any kind of, you know, clauses in the contract. Right. Right. It's not a contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. John Mark Comer, I'm reading his by his book, um, Live No Lies right now. And he talks about how you know, we have desires that are selfish and sinful desires, but we also have desires, you know, to live life well, to be happy. And those two often, you know, just completely conflict with each other. The what I want right now versus the what I ultimately want. And I think that this following after Jesus is is looking deep enough at what your deep wants are. And that has to happen regularly. Like you have to have a regular look at what you long-term deeply want and long for so that you are able to uh, deny yourself those those desires that are the right here, right now desires and say, this doesn't lead me to where I want to be. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to keep asking the spirit for the power that I need to deny those desires and to ultimately be what I want and who he created me to be. Okay, so you're saying that you have to have a kind of a gut check where you say, okay, my life is about following Jesus and becoming like Jesus, and I can't get sidetracked by these daily selfish things that I'm feeling. Yeah. That's what I hear you saying. Yeah, I think it's also another way to say that is the urgent versus the important, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. there's, there's always urgent. There's always stuff that you need to do. But what's really important to you, what really matters, you have to make space for that. And so if it's becoming like Jesus, we need to be with him and we need to keep our eyes fixed on him. So at one point in the show this morning, we were talking about our favorite thing about fall and you talked about all the pumpkin scones that you've had. And I realized I hadn't had a pumpkin scone yet. That's my takeaway. I need to get a pumpkin. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I do need to get a pumpkin scone today, but no. And that is legit one of your takeaways. That is one of my takeaways for today. <laughs> Another one is just the this whole conversation about the gospel being good news is not just good news for Jesus. It's good news for us. You know, his story, the story that he 
lived and died and rose and is alive right now with the Father in heaven and is coming back to make all things new is not just good news for us someday. Mm-hmm. It's great news for right now mm-hmm. as we are, you know, called to be like him. There are so many scriptures that say, you know, all the, the good works that God planned in advance for us to do, that we're becoming like Jesus. This is not a someday reality. It's it's right now. It's today. It's what day is it? October 27, 2021. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree but I'm not going to go with the same thing. Okay, what you got? So I think that the ultimate call to Jesus is in his words. When we call people to Jesus, we should use Jesus' words. <laughs> Follow me. Yeah, that's it. What did that mean for those first people, those first century followers? It meant leave everything behind and yeah. come. Yeah. Come with me to a whole different way of life. What does it look like? in real time in 2021 to follow Jesus. And we need to share the gospel, the gospel of, you know, Jesus Christ coming to this earth. The word became flesh and came to live among us. He came to live out the life we could never live and and die in our place so we could be forgiven. He rose again to bring us into the Father's embrace. We need to be sharing that. Uh, we need to be sharing the, the big story of God, you know, how creation was was made for us to be co-rulers with the Lord, not people who would rule by the fist, but people who would rule with a basin and a towel, and we lost that, and Jesus right. came to restore that to us. And when we call people, when we share this message, you know, I think we need to put it in, put it in Jesus' court, for them and say, and Jesus is saying, follow me. This is a lifetime mm-hmm. commitment that you're walking into and, and, and you're not on your own anymore. Jesus comes to live in you, but this is a, this is a, to borrow this title from Eugene Peterson, this is a long obedience and a long trust in the same direction. Yeah, follow me and keep following yeah. Keep going. And you know what? We're going to be following Jesus for eternity. It's not going to stop when we die. And it's something we experience now. Thanks for listening to Perry and Shauna Replay. To learn more, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.